crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Christopher Eames and I'll be your host for today's program. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a lot of material to get through today, so let's get right into it. For today's program, I want to compare the stories of two very different people, a now long-dead British explorer and a current female Jewish archaeologist, and the way that their successes and their very different careers were received by the various members of the scholarly establishment of their day. There's a real lesson, I think, in this. I've recently been reading the fabulous biography of Henry Morton Stanley, arguably one of history's greatest adventurers. This 18th century African explorer is best known for his expedition into Tanzania to find Dr. David Livingston. This was an odyssey that culminated in his famously reported words upon their meeting each other, quote, Dr. Livingston, I presume, end of quote. Uh, Stanley's successful search for the isolated doctor was the first big break of his remarkable career and one of his greatest accomplishments, instantly catapulting him to great heights of fame. But upon returning from his outstanding success in the African wilds, he was met with a pretty frosty reception by the British scientific establishment. Now, having read this account in a biography of Stanley, I was stunned by the similarities with another extremely successful scientist, archaeologist, and very good friend of mine, Dr. Elot Mazar. If you've been listening to this program or reading uh, articles on our website, watchjerusalem.co.il, you will be well familiar with this archaeologist. We've been working with her for just over a decade now. Uh, uh, what would it be, 12, 13 years? Now, both individuals, Stanley and Mazar, have accomplished outstanding feats in the realm of their respective sciences, yet they've been met with, in many ways, uh, the same surprising reception from their academic peers. So let's take a quick look at Stanley and then compare, compare him to our Hebrew friend, Dr. Elot Mazar. I mentioned this biography I've been reading. This is by Tim Geel. It's a uh, relatively new biography entitled Stanley, The Impossible Life of Africa's Greatest Explorer. Now, this biography is an exhaustive new reassessment of the life of this famous yet much misunderstood Victorian explorer. So Geel paints a vivid picture of Stanley's first mission, to the so-called Dark Continent to find the long-missing Dr. David Livingston. And uh, if I didn't mention it already, this again was during the Victorian era, uh, toward the end of the 1800s, 1871 was the date of this expedition. Uh, I believe it may have begun the year before, actually, but the late 1800s. So Dr. David Livingston was a world-renowned Africa, African explorer working for the British Royal Geographic Society, RGS. 
and this explorer spent much of his life attempting to find the source of the Nile River deep within Central Africa. Now, the exploits of this pioneering white explorer in completely uncharted and hostile territory gripped the Victorian Western world. However, by this point, barely anything had been heard from him for six years. He was believed to have crossed over into territory occupied by cannibals, and no one knew if he was still alive, let alone where he was. Now, Henry Morton Stanley was a young journalist at the time for the New York Herald, and he was an ardent follower of Livingston, having read his works growing up. And he persuaded the newspaper to fund an expedition to find and provide relief for the doctor, a mission that, if successful, would become the journalistic scoop of the century, if not all time. That's obviously up for debate. Uh, A journalistic scoop without parallel. So the plan was agreed, and Stanley set out with just over uh, 100 men into the African heartland. Now, this journey to find Livingston would take months of grueling travel. The expedition was plagued by desertions, by malaria, dysentery, uh, smallpox, fever, elephantiasis, delirium, hostile tribal encounters, and the death of many pack animals. Uh, Some few of the men even died along the way. Uh, Henry Stanley himself was smitten with... Uh, repeated bouts of malaria, and even left unconscious for days on end from fever. And as if that weren't enough, the convoy got caught up in a large regional conflict, and they ended up taking a side in that fight. So finally, to cut a long story short, after eight long months of arduous travel, the expedition arrived at the small village of Ujiji, where they found Dr. Livingston. And for for Dr. Livingston, this unexpected relief effort had come just in time. The 58-year-old was ill at the time, having suffered horrifically from dysentery, hemorrhoids, and his feet were uh, afflicted with flesh-eating type ulcers. He had just narrowly been escaped uh, being murdered, his supplies had been pillaged, and he had hardly any food left. Now, the Royal Geographic Society that he worked for, the British establishment, they had a man on the ground in Tanzania who was supposed to send supplies to Livingston, and this man had failed to deliver these designated supplies to Ujiji, instead having been away holidaying. Now, Stanley's team, once they found the doctor, they stayed with him for about four months, nursing him back to health, and after uh, ensuring that uh, Livingston was well supplied with food and porters, Stanley then sailed back to England with what was, again, as I said, the greatest journalistic story of the century, in fact, one of the greatest of all time, Uh, to and, and he, he returned to England to receive a hero's welcome. But Stanley's triumphant return soon turned quite sour. He was immediately shunned by this British establishment, the Royal Geographic Society, who were extremely jealous of his expedition. Uh, the society, just as Stanley had returned, were about to send out a relief party of their own. And a shocked Stanley was told by the RG uh, that 
rather, the RGS, quote, didn't want you to find him, end of quote. Uh, The Royal Geographic Society became offended by his public criticisms of their neglectful supplier in Tanzania, their man on the ground, who had basically let Livingston's food just sit and rot while he was away holidaying. And even elements of the press turned against Henry Stanley. Some even started uh, vicious conspiracy theories that, that Stanley had never actually met with Livingston, but had instead faked the journey, forging letters from the doctor. Now, this was disproven, but still, the damage was being done. Stanley was mocked uh, to no end, really, for his motivation for finding Livingston in the first place. He was accused of sensationalism. You might want to remember that word that will come up later on uh, with regard to Dr. Elat Mazar as we continue this program. Uh, But Stanley was accused of uh, his motivation, accused of sensationalism. He was cold-shouldered by the Royal Geographic Society. And even its president, Sir Henry Rawlinson, president of the RGS, suggested really contemptuously that, quote, if there has been any discovery and relief, it is Dr. Livingston who has discovered and relieved Stanley, end of quote. So Stanley was quite depressed by all of this, uh, by this reception from the establishment, and he wrote, quote, My accomplishments have been strongly colored by the storm of abuse and the wholly unjustifiable reports circulated about me. So numerous were my enemies, I had to resort to silence as a protection against outrage. Now, it wasn't just Stanley that was being criticized either. Even Dr. Livingston and his methods were not safe. Uh, Henry Stanley was surprised to hear the ready derision of this man, this aging Dr. Livingston, by his Royal Geographic Society, uh, they they were would laugh at his misfortunes, and obviously this riled Henry Stanley to no end. The the establishment publicly tore into Livingston's geographic theories, uh, and this prompted Stanley to take a stand while this great explorer was still in Africa, unable to defend himself. So Stanley took a stand for him and condemned these academic elites as quote. Easy chair geographers, just easy chair geographers, end of quote. Uh, Now, unlike them, Dr. Livingston actually put his theories to the test with 30 years of grueling African exploration. Stanley himself, his exploratory methods were also criticized, and the society, the Royal Geographic Society, attempted unsuccessfully to deny him the gold medal, the RGS gold medal, which would typically be awarded for for similar endeavors. Now, Stanley heard of this attempt, and he leaked it to the public, and thus ended up receiving the gold medal. Now, this is the thing. You see, despite all the snobbery, Despite the cold shouldering, the rebuffing by the jealous scholars and elites of the field, the general public were enraptured, I think is the right word, with Stanley and his daring accomplishments in saving the legendary Dr. Livingston. Henry Morton Stanley was instantly famous when he got back. His book he wrote, How I Found Livingston, became a runaway bestseller. He was regarded as a hero, even given... uh, 
major press interviews and an audience with Queen Victoria herself, who personally honored Stanley. Now, in reading reading the account of Stanley's reception, several elements struck me for their familiarity. Dr. Elot Mazar, as I mentioned at the top of the program, whom I've had the, the privilege of working with on several occasions in Jerusalem, she too has experienced similar criticism from those in the same old, cold, scientific establishment. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll look at Dr. Elot Mazar and the similarities of her story with that of Henry Morton Stanley. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the program. We've been discussing the incredible story of the great African adventurer Henry Morton Stanley, the great Victorian-era African adventurer, and we'll continue by comparing his reception before the scholarly academics of his day with that of Dr. Elot Mazar, archaeologist Dr. Elot Mazar, uh, based in Jerusalem. Now, Dr. Elat Mazar is best known for her archaeological work in the city of Jerusalem. She is famous in the field, not only for her stunning finds, but also for the sheer quantity of them. Monumental discoveries that she has made include King David's Palace, a a giant Solomonic-era tower, a wall matching the description of Solomon's biblical wall he built around Jerusalem, She's found a portion of Nehemiah's wall. Her many small finds that she's made include the personal stamp seals, called bulle, of King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet, uh, bulle belonging to the biblical princes Jehukal and Gedaliah. You can read about them in Jeremiah 37 and 38. She's found the oldest piece of writing ever discovered in Jerusalem. She's found the earliest alphabetical inscription ever found in Jerusalem, the largest vessels ever discovered in Jerusalem, possibly the largest year four revolt coin hoard ever discovered, and one of the three largest gold hoards ever discovered in all Israel, and her gold uh, gold hoard of those three is certainly the most famous of them, uh, particularly so because of the big menorah medallion, gold menorah medallion, that uh, was part of the, the the trove, part of the cache that she found. Now, Dr. Mazar herself has been stunned by the sheer number and impressiveness of the discoveries that she has made, and she readily admits that some archaeologists spend an entire lifetime of digging only to discover a well, barely a small percentage of what she has been privileged to find, and she'll admit that. Now, given all of her incredible discoveries and her vast experience, really her whole life from, from the point of, of a young child, she has been on excavations. So given all of this, you would think that Dr. Mazar would be about the most highly esteemed archaeologist in all of Israel, admired by her academic peers, 
But in fact, in many ways, just the opposite is true. Not not uh, that's that's not a blanket statement. Not not all the time, but in many ways, just the opposite is true. As Henry Morton Stanley experienced, a significant chunk of Israel's archaeological establishment has been very much against her. She's been condemned by many of them for quote unquote sensationalism. Her methods have been criticized as hasty and biased. She's been accused of forcing an agenda into her archaeology, with some at worst even suggesting foul play regarding some of her finds, or at best just dismissing them as unimportant. She's been called a, quote, one-woman camp of her own, end quote, and a far-right fringe. Watch Jerusalem writer uh, Brent Nagtigale, your your regular host, joined her in Tel Aviv at an archaeological conference um, several years ago. And in, well, this might be actually more like a decade ago, and in an occasion resemblant to Stanley, Henry Morton Stanley's speeches before members of the Geographic Committee, Brent related the following, quote, I accompanied Elat to an archaeological convention in Tel Aviv. She was releasing her recent discovery of Nehemiah's wall to a standing room only crowd of hundreds of people. This event, uh, a scholar from Hebrew University in Jerusalem walking into the liberal Tel Aviv University, was as close as I've gotten to High Noon Showdown in Dodge City. Immediately following Elat's presentation, the next professor got up. Instead of using his time to show what he had discovered, he used all of it to discredit Dr. Mazar's work. I was incensed at some of the preposterous claims, end of quote, again from Brent Nagtigel, who joined her at a Tel Aviv archaeological conference. So why such a hostile reception? Herschel Shanks, the then editor of the Biblical Archaeology Review magazine, wrote, quote, No one would question her professional competence as an archaeologist. Well, I'll interject here. Some have tried. Uh, But back to uh, Herschel Shanks here. Her chief sin, however, is that she is interested in what archaeology can tell us about the Bible. Making a reasonable judgment about archaeological evidence as it relates to the Bible. In some scholarly circles, this is considered unscholarly. End of quote. You see, the thing is, Dr. Mazar actually considers the biblical text when undertaking her archaeological work. This sin, shall we say, is anathema, maddening to the scholarly establishment. And according to them, uh, she shouldn't be making these biblical discoveries, uh, discoveries because the Bible is false. According to them, she shouldn't be making these discoveries because the Bible is false. They criticize her for actually finding what she is looking for, it really in spite of the fact that, that this is good science, actually good science, a sign of a good theory if you find what you are looking for. And uh, her, her detractors simply can't understand why in the land of the Bible, Dr. Mazar keeps on making astounding, biblically significant discoveries. Perhaps, shall we say, shall we, shall we dare speculate, it's because she excavates where the Bible says things actually happened? 
but uh, many an elite archaeologist's career, when you think about it, many uh, an elite archaeologist's career is built upon undermining the biblical account, really propounding their own theories, even contrary to the evidence. We've seen this before, and talk about bias in, in this case, propounding their own theories contrary to the evidence. Real anti-biblical bias here. Now, is Dr. Mazar religious? No. In, in fact, the case could be made that her contemporaries harbor even more religious fervor against the Bible than she has for the Bible. The fact is, the Bible is a book of history, and as such, Dr. Mazar uses the Bible as one of her chief tools in understanding ancient Israel's past. It makes sense, right? The Bible is a book of history, and so she uses it as a tool in understanding Israel's past. Egyptologists would use Manetho as a tool in understanding uh, Egypt's past. Irish archaeologists would, would look at the Liber Gabala Erin, uh, Greek uh, archaeologists, I, I suppose, would look at Homer, Herodotus, to help with their research. Is that so awful? To look at the Bible as a chief tool in understanding ancient Israel's past? For a chunk of Israel's scholarly, dry, killjoy scientific establishment, it is. Dr. Mazar, to them, is an aberration that must be crushed. But for just about everyone else, the citizens... The regular Joes, shall we say. It's a different story. Dr. Mazar is deeply respected and loved. The people were for Henry Morton Stanley, and the people are for Dr. Elat Mazar. These are people who do hold dear, to some degree or other, their biblical history in the land of Israel. They love hearing of Dr. Mazar's sensational discoveries. Sensational, because that's what they inherently are. As for any outlandish criticisms of her archaeological method, believe me, I've worked with Dr. Mazar, and she is insanely careful and methodic and methodical. On our latest excavation, uh, early 2018 excavation, one of the other employees was mentioning to me the same thing, comparing just how much more meticulous Dr. Mazar's excavation was compared to another one that she had worked on. You see, Dr. Mazar welcomes different opinions, criticisms, looks for them even, and she tours around even her most vocal critics around the dig site. She likes to consider all options to arrive at the very best conclusions. Now, that's not to say that those criticisms aren't worrying, but she is incredibly resilient. And her conclusions are carefully considered. They're not hasty. They are carefully considered, and she'll willingly share the reasons for why she came to them for those who actually desire to know. Just look at the Hezekiah Buller. This was only released to the public after six years after being excavated. The Isaiah Buller, eight years after being excavated. And if she's presented sufficient evidence, uh, contrary evidence to any of her finds, She'll change her conclusion. She's done that in the past, uh, with the Shlomit seal being a, being a key example of that. If only the same could be said for the Bible-bashing critics. No one can criticize 
Dr. Elat Mazar's work ethic. It's like Stanley called the, the Royal Geographic Society members of his day, quote, easy chair geographers. These are easy chair critics making in many cases, vast generalizations from the comfort of their air-conditioned offices many miles away, passing judgment about subjects they don't fully understand in places that they have never been. Dr. Mazar's in her 60s now, but she is still hard at work either out in the field or in her cramped university office. She'll, I, I can speak from experience here, she'll, she'll reply to emails at any hour of the night who knows when she sleeps? She's out there early to the uh, excavation site, often buttoned up in a high-vis jacket, directing the traffic on the road while while the crane and the dump truck are at the site removing excavated sacks of earth and rocks. Uh, again, speaking from experience, I've helped her with that, sometimes working until 1 or 2 a.m. if it's, if it's a midnight shift, uh, when Jerusalem traffic is at its lightest, helping her to remove excavated material in the big industrial bags. I've worked on the truck with the contracted crane operator. He, he just goes on and on talking to the dump truck driver about how awesome Dr. Mazar is and all of her incredible finds. People just love her work. Brent, uh, again, Brent Nagtigale related the same phenomenon. This is from another article that he wrote. I don't have the title here, sorry, but uh, here's the quote. Uh, there were many times when we would leave leave the dig site together in her car, in her car, crawling through the epic con- congestion of Silwan, the predominantly Arab village that sits on the location of the ancient city of David. Every time we came to to a stop for a brief moment, she'd be should be talking out her rolled-down window to some local as he walked past, or yelling to another as he sipped his Turkish coffee from a rooftop overlooking the road. At first I thought she was just being friendly with strangers, but then I overheard them calling her Elat. Whether Arab or Jew, these City of David inhabitants all knew her. What amazed me further is that she knew them. She had worked with many of them or their family members over decades of excavation on that same hill. In this most volatile neighborhood on the planet, here was one lady who had the respect of them all. End of quote. Really, when you look at it, there are so many people, so many examples that Brent has seen, that I myself have seen, many others can attest to of her and her relationship with the people. The people love her. Uh, you, you know, there's the uh, Arab custodian at the Hebrew University, whom I've heard Dr. Mazar always trying to converse with in her limited Arabic tongue. There's the the King David Hotel security guard, who this was at our big exhibit launch last year of the Hezekiah and Isaiah Bule exhibit. And the security guard just starts gushing about her when he sees her pulling into the parking lot in her clapped out old van quickly shepherding her to his best parking bay. Now, as Stanley, as Henry Morton Stanley was congratulated by the Queen, so too, in a smaller way, I guess you could say, so too has Dr. Mazar herself been personally commended and congratulated by her own nation's leaders. Both Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Reuven Rivlin have congratulated her on her work and the significance of her discoveries. Stories could go on and on. 
and they are a testament to the real impact she has made on people's lives. Now, after Henry Morton Stanley's book became a major bestseller among the public, the the once vindictive leaders of the Royal Geographic Society put on a large banquet in his honor, finally did something here in his honor. And at that banquet, the RGS president, Sir Henry Rawlinson, he, de- he delivered a profound apology to the man who had risked everything, life and limb, to find their long-lost explorer. So earnest was the speech that the American writer, Mark Twain, who was at this event, he said it was, quote, the most manly and magnificent apology that I have ever listened to, end of quote. And in talking about Dr. Mazar, perhaps one day, as genuine, sensational biblical discoveries continue to flow in, as they continue to be made, these discoveries, perhaps, just perhaps, the same could be done. The same kind of apology could be done for Dr. Elat Mazar. Well, that's all we have time for. If you haven't ordered it already, I'd like to recommend our free booklet, The Proof of the Bible, The Proof of the Bible, available at our website. Because the archaeological record that Dr. Mazar is helping to uncover isn't the only proof of the biblical record. So too is fulfilled prophecy, incredible biblical prophecies that are still being fulfilled here in this end time on a virtually daily basis. So this booklet, The Proof of the Bible, will help explain all of that to you. You can read it online or order your own free hard copy. If you'd like to contact the program, please email us at letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Again, our web address is watchjerusalem.co.il. You can order the Proof of the Bible and keep up to date with our articles and programs on that website. So for today, thanks for joining us. Take care and we'll see you next time.